A number of years ago, we had the joy of having a, a young couple come to our church, Murray and Cheryl Greenwood. Murray was, I believe, recently graduated from medical school and had uh, established himself here as a pediatrician in our area. And uh, they began coming to our church, and we began building a, a close relationship. I thought it was. It says it's on. But there, I've got to hold it up a little closer. I'm just, I apologize, I'm not used to using this. I'm used to the one that you roam around on, but Murray's got that. But in any case, I felt that um, as I got to meet this couple, they seemed to be uh, interested in uh, maybe doing something that we've been talking about, which was a backpacking trip. And I remember you guys going on that backpacking trip, and that's when you really get to know somebody. And, uh, you know, there's just, uh, just dealing with the basic needs of life, and you begin to appreciate people's patience and their sweetness and their support and their kindness. And they were a very precious couple. And they showed all the qualities of our Savior and what are less than uh, desirable situations at times. And uh, they were just a delight to get to know. And we've become good friends over the years, um, or continued a good friendship over the years. Murray was going on to uh, Dallas Seminary, and uh, where he's uh, preparing for the mission field. And he and Cheryl are going to tell you a little bit about that this morning. And he's got some other things to share with you, but they're just a fine family, and we're just so happy to have them with us today. Murray, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Is my mic on? Everything seems to be working well. Okay, well, good morning to you all, and I really rejoice in the Lord at the opportunity to come and talk with you today. Um, and I thank the Lord for this privilege and for your friendship and love. Uh, we have so many dear friends here, and so many of you are so familiar, and we're just really glad to see you. So uh, thank you, and join with me today just to really reflect upon some, uh, some of what the Lord has to say to us from 2 Corinthians. So if you would like to, you can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be moving pretty quickly, so I am expecting most of the verses to be on the overhead for your more convenient, so you don't have to quickly look them up. But, um, but let's think a little bit about the fact that God can use even you, or even me, You know, it's somewhat preposterous, if you know me very well, to think of us as going off to the mission field. But it is something that the Lord can do beyond our strength. So God can use even you. Have you ever felt inadequate? It was 1992, about a mile down the road at Mission Hospital. I was at the hospital seeing a couple of triplets. The boys had been admitted to the hospital with diarrhea and dehydration. And... The mother comes down the hall carrying the sister, the third triplet. Of course, she was the more robust of the three, so she had been at home handling it quite well, while unbeknownst to all of us, she was getting dramatically worse. And now she was limp and unconscious in her mother's arms as she hurried down the hallway to me. And I snatched her from the mother's arms, handed her to the nurses. The nurses tried to start an IV, were unable to start one because she was so dehydrated, her veins had more or less collapsed, and they couldn't get one in. Uh, so we, I called for one of the emergency room doctors to come back us up, and I was trying to put in a central venous catheter into her thigh, into her femoral vein, the, the large vein coming up from the thigh. 
trying to do it, made three attempts, would get into the vein each time, but just couldn't thread the catheter because she was so collapsed down, so shocky. No reaction to the needle sticks whatsoever, just laying there completely unconscious, limp, unresponsive, with a puddle of dark green diarrhea coming out onto the pads beneath us, and um, just was literally leaking out her life you know, right there. And uh, I'll tell you, there's, there's a time when you discover what it means to pray without ceasing, is when you realize that you pray as you work, as you think, everything that you're doing in your life, you're just continually offering up a prayer because you know you cannot do it on your own strength. I called for the ICU physician. Well, he was at Children's of Orange County up north. At that time, Mission did not have a children's hospital, did not have a pediatric ICU, and did not have in-house ICU doctors. So there was no one else but me. And he said, do what you can. He was dealing with the crisis there. He couldn't come. And uh, at that time, it was 1992, it was considered somewhat heroic to put in an intraosseous needle. But that's what we had left to, to try. And so uh, I took the intraosseous. At that time, like I say, it was somewhat heroic. But, you know, you, you put it in. You hear the bone grind and crack and break as you're putting the needle in. And finally it stayed in its place. And then started pushing large volumes of saline into this little girl to replace her body fluids. And then finally, you know, you see a little color come back to her cheeks and her eyelids fluttered. And we knew that the Lord can use even me. And that story is an illustration just of the sense sometimes that we have of our own inadequacy in the face of life's daily troubles and the realities of life. And I want you to see with me today how Paul faced his own inadequacies. When we think of Paul, we get this image of this superhuman man who boldly proclaimed Christ throughout the Greco-Roman world, endured persecutions, beatings, no hesitation whatsoever. He marched forward boldly despite incredible opposition. And, and frankly, we just think of him as being Superman. And the temptation for us is to think, I could never do that. I could never be like Paul. Well, the scriptures do tell us to imitate Paul. He, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So apparently he thought it was okay for us to try to be like him. Um, we set up this unrealistic image of what he was like that makes us unable to ever conceive of measuring up to that image. And that gives us an excuse for our lack of impact on the people around us. Well, today we're going to look at what Paul says about himself in his most autobiographical letter. The book of 2 Corinthians is the book in which Paul shares the most about himself, deep personal things about himself. In 2 Corinthians, we see his heart for the people he ministered to and his personal inadequacy and Christ's sufficiency for Paul's inadequacy. The Corinthians had come to faith as a result of Paul's preaching during his second missionary journey around A.D. 51. The story is told in Acts chapter 18. You can look at that later. Paul had invested a year and a half of his life there. He had poured himself into the Corinthian believers. He had established a church and taught them, as uh, Acts 18.11 tells us. They were genuine believers. They had been taught the word of God. Yet, this Corinthian church was full of problems. You know... The reality is that every church is full of problems. Some are more evident than others. But the Corinthians really were in trouble. 
And one of the major issues at the time that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians was that false teachers had infiltrated the church after Paul had moved on to other locations and were teaching things to undermine Paul's authority. They were tearing down his reputation. In, in that way, they hoped they could make the Corinthians doubt what Paul had taught. So they were tearing down Paul's teaching by tearing down his personhood, by attacking his authority. So in 2 Corinthians, we see Paul alternately assert his credentials. I am a genuine apostle. I am not less than the most eminent apostles, he says. But at the same time, we see alternately him evidencing the greatest anguish of heart and the greatest weaknesses are revealed in 2 Corinthians. So, uh, the book is as if he's pleading for them to remember who he is, to remember that he is a flawed and imperfect person that God has chosen to greatly use, just like what God can do with you and me. God can use even you. Now, when we think of Paul as a superhuman, but he has struggles just like we do. We're going to look at a few verses just selected from, first, from 2 Corinthians. Uh, 1 verse 5 the sufferings of Christ abound in us 1 verse 8 we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life 2 verse 4 for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears 2 verse 13 I had no rest in my spirit because I didn't find Titus 4 verse 8 we were hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. 5, verse 4. We who are in this tent groan, being burdened. 7, verse 5. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. 10 verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who in presence am lowly among you. And 10 verse 10 tells us a little bit about what they had been saying about him. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. Now people were saying some painful things about Paul, and it really hurts. He was dealing with some very real feelings and he was struggling with some real issues in his heart as he's dealing with the, second, with the Corinthians. 12 verse 9 and 10, now we're talking about a fairly famous passage. Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, here's where we're going to turn the corner from seeing Paul's weaknesses to discovering where he found his strength. Despite his weaknesses and struggles, Paul found his sufficiency in the Lord. We think of him as a superhuman he was not. He had real struggles just like we do. But he found his sufficiency in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6 are some of my favorite verses in the scriptures. We have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient. 
Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as coming from ourselves. Every one of us struggles with feelings of areas of inadequacy. When you think about sharing Christ with your neighbor, when you think about talking with someone, you just don't know how they'll receive what you have to say about the Lord. You may feel a sense of inadequacy, a hesitation to step forward, because you think, well, I can't do that. You may be right, you can't. But the Lord is our sufficiency. And this is the most crucial thing for us to discover. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, crackpots if you have it that way. Some of the kids say their pediatrician is a crackpot. But the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. But the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. If you look at yourself in the mirror and you see a lot of weaknesses, maybe it's so that the excellence of God can be demonstrated because it's obvious that you couldn't have done it. These verses have meant everything to me as I've prepared to go to the mission field. It's, it's honestly quite scary. Okay? We're going to be leaving the comfort zone that we have developed here. We've had significant ministry in the United States. And it's really nice to be able to deal with Hispanic patients, but know I can go home and speak English with my neighbors. It's really nice to be able to have the resources that we have here and be able to listen to Christian radio on the way to and from work or whatever else it is that helps you to cope. But our sufficiency is not in ourselves. It is from God. It is from the Lord. All too often I focus on what I can't do. I'm not good at this or that. Please don't ask me to fix your car. Maybe you do this too. When our eyes are on ourselves and on our own weaknesses, we limit ourselves to our finite ability, what we can do in our own strength. We put ourselves right where Satan wants us. We paralyze ourselves by our fear of failure or the fear of rejection or the fear of some consequence of standing boldly for Christ. Instead of focusing on his own inability, Paul looked past his own weaknesses to focus on how God's strength could work through him in spite of himself. Paul found his sufficiency in the Lord, and so must we. God can use even you. Even you. Despite his weaknesses and struggles, Paul found his sufficiency in the Lord. And Paul found his passion in the urgent message of Christ. He found his passion in the urgent message of Christ. You know, the problem with what you hear about, so much talk about self-esteem, is that it's viewed as an end in itself. But the scriptural source of self-esteem is finding our sufficiency in Christ. But not just so we can sit there and be happy with how good we must be now because we're sufficient in Christ. There's a purpose to our lives. And here in the center of 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to show us in this most autobiographical work the core of his motivation and the purpose behind his ministry. 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15 tell us this, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. We're going to look at these verses a lot more closely. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. The love of Christ compels us. Now, at first you may wonder whether that means that our love for Christ compels us to go on and do things. But that's not the case. That's insufficient. What the scripture is saying there, A.T. Robertson tells us the love of Christ in the original Greek is subjective genitive, which Arch can explain and I will not attempt to. But what that tells you is the grammatical structure tells us is speaking of Christ's love for us rather than our love for Christ. Tom Constable, who is the chairman of Bible Exposition at Dallas Theological Seminary now, agrees with this, as do the vast majority of the reference sources that I consulted. This is speaking of God's love for us. The love that's talked about in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's the love that led Jesus to say in Matthew 18.11 For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. It's the love of Christ that led him to die in our place. In John 15.13 Jesus said Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now the honest reality if we're really honest with ourselves now there are times when we really have an exuberant love for the Lord but the honest reality is that we don't love him enough consistently enough to be driven to live our lives for him. Our own love is a responsive love. It is his love that compels us. And I don't love the lost enough, you know. Praying for the lost. Don't pray for the lost. Pray for somebody that you know. And develop a heart and compassion for that person that you know that's lost. Pray for people. Not for some vague concept that means nothing to you and has no power at all. I don't love the lost enough on my own power to consistently give up my life for them or to go to Ecuador. But it is the love of Christ that compels us. 1 John 4.19 says, We love Him because He first loved us. That's the reason we love Him back. The love that motivates me to live my life for Him is the love of Christ. Christ's love for the lost. Christ's love for me. Christ's love for you. Christ's love for us. That is the love that is working. It is the love that's living through me as a new creation in Him, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. But let's move on. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, continuing. For the love of Christ compels us. It compels us. When it says the love of Christ compels us, or in the Old King James it says constraineth us, Jameson and Fawcett's critical and explanatory commentary says that it means with irresistible power... It limits us to the one great object to the exclusion of other considerations. The Greek implies that we are forcibly compressing our energies into one channel. This one thing I do, he says. Now, to live his life for the Lord. The love of Christ compels us forward. The King James Version Bible Commentary says it very well. Christ's love for Paul held him in such a grip that it constituted the compelling force in everything he did. Christ's love for Paul held him in such a grip that it constituted the compelling force in everything he did. Can you say that of yourself? Is that true of you? Does Christ's love have a grip on you 
so that it compels you and it's the compelling force in your life. Verse 15, He died for all. We won't have time to develop that in great detail, but it's obvious there that it's saying He died for all. He died for all. That they who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. We should live no longer for ourselves, but for Him. Moving on in the passage, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 18. Now, all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be reconciled? It means for two warring parties to be made at peace. For an estranged husband and wife to be brought back together. Reconciliation is when people are brought back together. When we who have offended God are brought back to Him. When He makes possible the provision for us so that He restores our relationship with Him. All these things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When I was at the Mayo Clinic in 1982 doing a summer internship, I went to a church, and on the outside of the church, that's what they had inscribed. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the ministry, the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The eternal God has chosen to use you and me to reach a lost world. Every one of us, we work in situations, we live in neighborhoods, we have contact with people who do not know the Lord. And the Lord has committed to us the word of reconciliation. If we find our sufficiency in Him, and we find our passion in His urgent message, then that word is going to sound forth from us so that people around us are impacted by our lives for Christ. That we are honest and authentic and transparent as Christians so that our heart for the Lord, the way we think, the scriptural reasons for your decision making, the basis for a choice that you've made, just explain it. You know, I, I want to do this because of this. Let yourself be authentically who you really are in Christ through His sufficiency so that the people around you are impacted with, with, for the gospel and so that their lives are transformed by this power of Christ. God can use even you. We think of Paul as superhuman, but he had struggles just like we do. Truly, he was a remarkable person, but he was a human with problems and struggles. 
Despite his weaknesses and struggles, Paul found his sufficiency in the Lord. And he found his passion in the urgent message of Christ. Now it's a reality that every one of us is not going to live a life that looks like a cookie cutter image of Paul. We're not going to go marching through Asia Minor and evangelizing Greece. We're not going to follow in his exact life footsteps. And so each person is not going to have exactly the same ministry. And that's okay in the eyes of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-7 through 7 tells us there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities. But it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one of us for the profit of all. We each need each other. We work together. And the gifts that the Lord has entrusted to you need to be manifested and used in His servants, in His service, through His sufficiency, with a passion to see the message communicated so that the lost, so that we share His heart for the lost. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. So each one of us in our uniqueness is designed by God to use our gifts for His glory. And the Great Commission applies to every Christian. Every one of us is urged by the Lord Jesus Himself to make disciples, to be sharing our hearts, to be training up others who will in turn go forth and reach others. And our children are one of our greatest trusts from the Lord to be discipling and training them. Let's look a little bit before the passages we've been looking at in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. Through us, God diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. Verse 15 says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Basically, folks, we reek. We reek. What do people smell when they smell you? Do you smell like Jesus? You are emitting an odor, whether you want to or not. And the people around you are taking a sniff. Okay? What kind of odor do they sense? people around you are sniffing. What's it look like to be a Christian? What does it smell like to be a Christian? Is it a stench or a pleasing aroma? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to emit a confusing scent. Put on, you know, as you go through the, the, um, the department store, you know, just try all of them. As you're in the cologne section, you know, just try them all, all at once, you know. That'd be pretty overwhelming and emitting a confusing odor. But we want to send forth an unmistakable aroma of Christ. In verse 16 it says, To the one, the one who is perishing, we are the aroma of death, leading to death. But to the other, the one who is being saved, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? He's introducing the passage then that says, I'm not sufficient in myself, but my sufficiency is in God. And it's true. There will be people, if you are doing what I'm talking about, being authentically 
Christian. So that when you're out working in the yard and your neighbor's out working in the yard, you just talk about who you are. You don't have to always constantly make it through the fourth law. Marching through the four spiritual laws with every time you have an individual contact with a human being. Over a long period of time, develop a real relationship with the people you know. And be who you really are. Don't hide your faith. And let it leak out so that they see what it is that makes you tick and how the Lord works through your own inadequacies when you fail. Because you will. Be real. So to the one, unfortunately, we are an aroma of death, a stench in their nostrils, because those who are being perishing, who are perishing, there are those that there is nothing we can do about it. They will reject who we are. And we have to be prepared and and willing to accept that because our sufficiency is in Christ. It's tough for us to handle it, but we find the sufficiency in Him. But there are those, and you won't always know which ones they are. That's one of the most astounding things, is that on the surface you would think that some of the people who are the most anti-Christ in their appearance and in their behavior will turn out to be inside the most seeking, the most open. Which is why I think the Lord spent so much time with the prostitutes and sinners. There were people who were far from God, but they had a heart that recognized their need. So don't assume which ones it is that are the ones in whom his nostrils you are a stench and in the others you are a pleasing aroma. The United Nations has come to you. Okay? The reality is that America today, the world has come to us. It's not absolutely necessary for you to leave the nation in order to evangelize the lost from other countries. My workplace where I work is essentially like the United Nations. The center manager is from Puerto Rico. The front desk clerk is from Mexico. The nurse is from India. The other nurse is a black African American. The uh, nurse... The that I supervised was a boat person from Vietnam. Came across with the clothes on their back. Now she's a physician assistant seeing patients. The other nurse practitioner, her parents immigrated from Ireland. I mean, we truly have the United Nations there. It is an astonishing thing. And uh, it was just, just a taste of what I'm talking about here. Just one day before we came on this trip... I walk in, the nurse from India comes in, oh, Dr. Greenwood, Dr. Greenwood, she's sobbing on my shoulder. You know, you don't know, it was so hard, it was so hard. I was, I was trusting in the Lord all the time. She had been praying to the Lord as she was going through her nursing examination, a clinical exam. They put them in a room with a patient, don't tell them much about it, and sit there and observe them and mark off, oh, you touched that dirty thing, you know, you, oh, you contaminated your pen or whatever else it was. She was just under stress and duress for 72 hours of, you know, three days of continual testing, just under tremendous pressure. And she found strength in the Lord. And she wanted to confide that in me because of the relationship that we had developed. And her strength, her, her faith has grown as we've just rubbed shoulders and talked about who we are. The center manager comes in and 
drags me into a private office to tell me more about her uh, issues with her husband who is, has been very faithful to her but apparently has a friend who's a, a divorced woman with lupus and is trying to take care of some of her medical issues and help around her house and boy you know I've been praying about this all the time and I just don't know if I know how to pray can you tell me how to pray and so I start by saying you know before you really can pray effectively you need a relationship with the Lord you've got to be sure you're really a Christian and so we walk through the Romans road right there at work we start saying okay for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and just step by step, we talked through the plan of salvation. And I didn't have her pray right there, but it was obvious where her heart was in that. Um, and she took those notes just carefully because and, and, uh, we wrote it down. And it's just, just exciting to see what the Lord can do through you. And so the point of all of what I'm saying is this. Wherever you are, be who you really are in Christ. Find your sufficiency in Him despite your weaknesses and your struggles. And find a passion. Find your passion in the urgency of His message. Because the Lord loves the lost. And He wants to see them saved. And He wants to use us. Because He is committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, we are going to take just a few minutes to look at a DVD that tells you a little bit about our, our personal selves, our history and our ministry, and what we will be trying to accomplish. And uh, we'll go ahead and play that now. In 1983, I heard Elizabeth Elliot ask three questions. What are you living for? What does it cost? And is it worth it? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, The love of Christ compels me. He died for all, that they should no longer live for themselves, but for Him. I concluded that because Jesus Christ died for me, I should live my life for Him. You can't imagine how much that hurt. It cost me everything. I had to surrender control of my life. But I am convinced that the eternal rewards are worth it. I signed a commitment. In view of the incomprehensible grace of God, and realizing the urgent needs of this lost world, I pledge the entirety of my time, affections, and resources to Jesus Christ and His Great Commission. Immediately, I felt the compelling urge to answer God's call. And within six months, I was doing evangelism and medical work in Panama. Since that time, I've continued to live for Christ, committed to communicate His love and truth in every way that I can. From the Panama Canal, to the pyramids of Egypt, to the island of Taiwan, to the villages of Mexico, and Guatemala, God has blessed me with extensive cross-cultural missions experience. In my 20 years of medical work with Hispanics, God has given me countless opportunities to impact lives for Jesus Christ. 
He's given me a genuine love for Hispanics that enables me to communicate in action the love of Christ. I once cared for a Hispanic baby with a serious heart defect. After the child's heart surgery, I arranged for follow-up with a competent Spanish-speaking doctor. But every time the baby got sick, they came back to me. Finally, I asked the family why, when the other doctor could actually understand them. The mother explained, but he doesn't love the baby. I became a Christian at a young age, but began to grow spiritually when I was a youth. It was through the dynamic testimony of a leader in my church, I began reading my Bible every day. I wanted to be a vibrant, excited Christian like him. The scripture was like a magnet to my heart. The more I read, the more I wanted to read. Its words and truth touched my deepest needs for value and worth. It gave me a way to deal with the fears I had of a big, scary world and the wisdom I needed to make life's difficult decisions. Gradually, I came to the firm conclusion that God's ways are best. I joyfully knew I was opening myself to go any place on earth for him. This desire was confirmed when I went for two months to a mission hospital in Liberia, Africa as a physician assistant. Soon after that, Murray and I got married and we began preparing diligently to be career missionaries. As a tender-hearted person, I assumed I would return someday to Africa to minister to the needy there. But until that time, I got eagerly involved in ministry right where I was. I've ministered to hurting women in a crisis pregnancy center, taught childbirth and child care classes, taught children in Sunday school and vacation Bible school, and Awana Bible training. I was thrilled to serve in the creative arts in my local church, including music, choir, decorating for vacation Bible school, and writing children's curriculums. The ministry most dear to my heart is Operation Christmas Child. I didn't need much coaxing to envision the hungry, joyless children all over the world that would receive the gifts and message of Christ sent in these boxes. I still pray for the children who got our boxes, that they would receive Jesus, the greatest gift of all. Each year, my kids and I would pack a few more than the year before. It didn't take long for me to realize I could never do enough by myself. So I began encouraging others to join in the project. I see how recruiting and training others is an effective way to multiply my impact. Did you know that less than 6% of the world's pastors have a Bible college or seminary education? One of the strategic needs of the world today is for the training of Christian leaders. Some South American churches have grown to the place where they are now on the verge of being a mission force. Other areas of South America have no significant Christian witness. Our vision is to be involved in transforming the growing church from a mission field to a mission force. Around the world, doors are slamming shut to traditional Western missionaries, but a Latino can blend in much more readily in many countries. We want to help equip and mobilize physicians, other healthcare workers, lay pastors, and evangelists so that they are able to accurately communicate God's word and his gospel message wherever they go. It is our dream to train, mentor, and launch others who will in turn have a multiplied impact on the world in his name. SIM is a perfect fit for me because they view themselves as a mission-planting mission. SIM helps to plant, strengthen, and then partner with churches to help them catch the vision of reaching out to the world in Christ's name. Greg is one of the medical students that I mentored on a trip to Mexico. For about 10 hours driving down there, we talked about ways that I communicate my faith through my work as a physician. While we were there, I modeled living out my faith as I taught Greg medical skills.
located in South America, with the Pacific Ocean directly to the west, Ecuador is bordered by Colombia to the north and Peru to the east and south. Ecuador consists of four principal areas. The coastal plain, where much of the country's export crop is produced. The Sierra, or Highland Plateau, that divides two Andean mountain ranges. The Orient, or jungle, situated on the eastern Andes slopes and along the Amazon tributaries. The fourth area is actually located a thousand kilometers offshore. Originally named Archipelago de Colón, the Galapagos Archipelago is a chain of 13 volcanic islands. It is world-renowned as a source of unique flora, fauna, and geology. This is Loja province in southern Ecuador. The Andes Mountains dominate the landscape here. The people living in communities in these mountains still practice subsistence farming and face harsh daily living conditions, isolated and largely cut off from most essential services. There are hundreds and hundreds of small towns tucked into the Andes. These communities have never heard the gospel in their history and up until just recently have been completely closed to any sort of outside people coming in to share the gospel in Ecuador is a holistic approach that is not just to seek to help the people spiritually but to help them physically, psychologically in whatever way we can. We are able to demonstrate the love of God to these people. So it completely turns around the attitude of the community towards us and towards evangelicalism. This has opened up doors in that region like we could not have dreamed. And now there are hundreds of communities that we can go into and who are ready to hear the gospel. I'm going to Ecuador so that we can tell people about God and how he loves us and give people a chance to go to heaven. To show to people that so that they will know that I that God loves them. I'll make some friends so they can trust me and I'll share the gospel with them and my parents love too. I'm going to try to make friends so that my mom and dad can be friends with their parents and tell people about um, how God loves them. Making friends. I'll make some friends so they can trust me and then my parents and me can tell them about the gospel. You can pray for my family that we will have enough life that God will meet our financial needs. To help them be safe and healthy. So we could get some more missionaries on the field and that we could be safe and have the Lord's protection. Sometimes in my desire to serve the Lord, I feel overwhelmed with the needs that I see everywhere. It seems my small efforts are just one drop in a very large bucket. However, God did not intend me to live with that burden. He brought me to a deep commitment to pray to the Lord of the Harvest to raise up His workers for these needs. I've learned that we don't just pray for the work, but that prayer is an important part of the work. God has so graciously built into us, we desire to build into others. But we can't do it alone. We need partners on our team. We need prayer. We're eager to keep in touch with you so we can specifically pray for one another. We need finances and other people in the field with us. 
Each of our partners will be investing themselves and their resources to build up the kingdom of God. Join us in the urgent and exhilarating adventure of reaching the world for Christ, living purpose-driven lives and submitting our lives fully to God. Taking the time to minister to us the Word of God this morning. I got a lot out of that personally, and uh, there's some things that have happened in my life, and you just, it's reviewing those needs that just are foundational to our Christian walk.